Bible study. Get your Bibles out. Ex, uh, Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. Let's open. Let's go in prayer. Father, in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you. He told us to come to you in his name. He said, after this, you will no longer ask me anything, but you will ask the Father in my name. So, Father, we're coming in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, petitioning you and thanking you and uh, for many things. Lord, tonight we want to thank you for Jason, Lord, who you spared by having the doctors open him up and find out that he had a hole in his colon, Lord, and had to take out a part of it. Lord God, we, we, you saved his life because mom and dad back there were praying for Jason. And Lord, we just put him in your hands, Lord, and we thank you and praise you, Lord. Let him recover quickly, Lord, and let him go back to normal and, and working, Lord, and whatever else he does to have a normal life once again. It's going to be a challenge for a couple of weeks, probably being a, for a couple of months, I should say. And it's going to, and he's going to be in the hospital for a, probably at least another week. So we lift him up. We pray for quick healing and recovery. But most of all, that he and his friends would notice that your hand was involved in this. Because we know that you are the great physician, Lord. A lot of physicians think they're great, but you're the greatest of the great physicians. Because you are God. You're the one that made Jason's body. Father God, we lift up Barbara, Lord, as she travels up to Virginia, Lord, uh, to spend a, a weekend with, uh, you know, comforting her loved ones up there at the loss of her grandmother, who she loved very much. Father God, we pray for protection as she travels, as she flies. And Lord, as since she's a uh, believer, I pray that you give her opportunity to share the gospel with those up there that might not know you. So, Father, we just give that her over to you and the family over to you. Protect our little granddaughters, Gabriella and Isabella, too, Lord. So, Father, we put that in your name. Father God, we pray for all those that are going to be flying this holiday season. You know, we don't know what's happening. All that air is recirculating in the airplane. It's supposed to be filtered, and maybe it is. And But I just pray, Lord God, that they that dwell in the, sh the shadow of the Most High, or the who abide in the Almighty, will hide themselves in the shadow of the Lord. So, Father, we put them before you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Protect the people traveling and flying, whether it be by car, boat, or plane. Lord God, we lift them up to you for protection, and we pray that they too would think about that and, and pray also to you for protection themselves. Father, I pray for divine appointments for Sunday's service that we're going to have here. Father, that you would bring the people out of their homes into the church, uh, watching TV or watching even the Internet. Lord, is, is fellowship is lacking. And uh, Lord, you tell us not to forsake our assembling of selves together but encourage one another, and all the more as the day's drawing near. And we can look at the news and know that the day is drawing near, that the Lord is going to return. We don't know the day, but we do know the season. And what's, what Jesus described as a season is very close to where we are now. So, Father, I believe it. And, Father, I can't wait till you come back. I know we're ambassadors in a foreign land, but someday we're going to our homeland that, that you have called us to. And I'm sure it's more beautiful and glorious than this place. But, Lord, we have work to do. Each and every one of us down here have work to do 
to tell others about the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he came as we celebrate Christmas, that he died to, to for, and his blood cleansed our sin away, and he was buried, and then three days later, just like the scriptures say, he was risen from the dead, and nobody could find him except those that he appeared to, 500 at one time, over a 40-day period, and Lord God, you know, we, the church today, 2,000 years later almost, is, is, the, is, the, is proof that he's alive. Not to mention a whole bunch of other things, like all the apostles went to their, their death as a martyr because they know that Jesus walked out of that grave. We saw his glory, and we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you revealed it to all of us who have received Christ as our Savior. Father God, I pray for those families that lost loved ones in the last years, Lord, and we just lift them up to you. I had a friend call me just a couple days ago, you know, um, who lost his, his wife not too long ago. And Lord, talked with him and encouraged him. So I lift, I lift them up to you, Lord, those that lost loved ones. You comfort them. Jeremiah's phone, Jeremiah 33.3 is God's phone number. Call upon him in your day of trouble, and he will answer you, and he will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So, Father, let them not be ashamed. Let them humble themselves, bow their knee before you, and receive the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses them from sin, that they might live a completely new and different life, being born again into the spirit of the living God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Bless the study here tonight. May you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. Again, you can turn to Genesis chapter 48. We're going to do expositional study through this chapter. I named this Adopted as Sons and Daughters. Sounds like a New Testament teaching, doesn't it? Well, you're going to see something here as we look at Jacob, who is really renamed Israel by God. And the most part from Genesis chapter 48 onward, you're going to see Jacob more referenced more to his changed name after he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And his changed name was, he was to be called no more Jacob, but he was to be called Israel. Jacob, of course, means deceiver or heel, heel uh, catcher, but, but Israel means governed by God. And that's why Israel's named Israel. They, he wants you to know that they're governed by God, but a lot of them don't, aren't governed by God. <laughs> you know, just like Jacob, for a time period, he was not governed by God. His turn came when he knew the, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the forefathers of our faith. But Jacob wasn't always a godly man, even though he came from, his grandfather was Abraham. He was... He was kind of uh, a bad dude to know, but, you know, he got saved while he wrestled the Lord. And then after he got wrestled with the Lord, the angel of the Lord, you know, he got saved and God touched his hip and he, and he limped all the rest of his life. You know, and God, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, which is a, is a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Christ, you know, touched him on the hip. And Jacob prevailed. He would not let him go until he blessed him. 
He was oper from that time on, even though he was born again, he was operating in the flesh. You're going to see this chapter that he's going to begin to operate ever since we met him last chapter when he met Joseph after 22 years, you know, of thinking Joseph was dead, kind of pointed to like a resurrection of Joseph to him. We pointed that out. It's a picture of Christ, you know. Um, but, you know, after he was resurrected, Jacob began to know that, that um, you know, that Yahweh was Yahweh, was God, and he began to serve the Lord. He even told Pharaoh when he met with Pharaoh last chapter in chapter 47. He talked about Yahweh to, to Pharaoh. So anyway, in this chapter, you're going to see that he's beginning to, to um, become a, a, Christ, a believer that walks in the spirit or walks the walk and in the name which he was called to portray, governed by God. He's going to begin to be governed by God, seeing that God has really taken his life that wasn't so hot. You know, he lost Sarah. You know, uh, you know his son Reuben went in and slept with his concubine Bilhah. You know, uh, Simeon and Levi wiped out Shechem and the entire tribe of Shechem because they raped you know, their sister Dinah. I mean, he had a rough life. Then he found out that Joseph was, was dead. He thought Joseph was dead because the 11 son, brothers, no, 10 brothers, I shouldn't say, because Benjamin was still young and at home, 10 brothers, you know, pretended like, like he was dead. They took his, his robe of, of many colors, and they, they tore it up and poured goat's blood all over it, and they sold Joseph into Egypt. You know, 22 years before, before um, Jacob saw Joseph, and he thought he was dead all those years. They caused their father misery. He had a miserable life. And then when he sees, when he sees Joseph, last chapter, he was 130 years old when he met with Pharaoh, because Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And he said, I'm 130. He said, but my, my years have been been kind of sad to me, not like my father's. Abraham lived of like 175. His father lived, you know, uh, I forget, but more than that, somewhere between that. But listen, he had a rough life. But he has like, since he saw Joseph was alive and well, and he's prime minister of Egypt, he was resurrected. He was ready to die at 130 years old when he went and met Joseph after 22 years, you know, he was revitalized for those 17 years. Seeing Joseph, and even getting to see tonight, you're going to see that his grandkids are on his knees, and he's blessing them tonight. He thought Joseph was dead, and here Joseph he meets, and he even sees his grandkids to, from Joseph. And he was resurrected to, uh, to uh, Jacob in a way. Joseph was resurrected. It's a picture. I have so far, and I even have in, in my notes right here, 39 ways Joseph typifies Christ. And we're not going to get into them tonight, but it's a, Joseph is a picture to us of the coming Messiah. It's beautiful pictures. But I'm going to read 
before we go. I'm going to start in chapter 27 at the 29th verse, just so we can tie ourselves into chapter 48. And I'm going to go to about the 7th verse there. Here's Genesis 47, verse 29 and onward. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place, which I told you last week was um, Malpeca. Okay? But you shall lie me with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burial place. And he said, that's Joseph, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself and on the head of the bed. When he says bowed there, I looked it up. It means he's saying he worshiped the Lord there at his bed. Now chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took him, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants, which you as an ever with you and after you as an everlasting possession. That's the land of Canaan. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. He's adopting Manasseh and Ephraim as sons, just like, you know, his, his two firstborn, Reuben and Simeon. He's, he's adopting them right there. Your offspring, whom you shall beget after them, shall be yours and will be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. But as for me, when I came to Pandam, that's a ram, Pandam a ram, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to Ephraim, that's Bethlehem. I buried her there on the way to Ephraim, that is Bethlehem. He had a rough, rough life. What, what Luz, by the way, was renamed Bethel. If you remember, that's where Abraham, you know, sacrificed and built an altar. He w- he's adopting Ephraim and Manasseh as sons. So verses 1 through 5 says that Jacob adopts and he takes possession of Joseph's two sons. Manasseh, which means, he, Joseph named him that, Manasseh, which means God made me forget. He forgot about his home. He was broken when his... If your brother sold you into slavery, 
Would you be brokenhearted? This is a 17-year-old kid. You know, but he, and when he was made prime minister after working at, you know, in, in the house and then being thrown into jail, you know, he had a rough, let's see, he had a rough 13 years because he was 30 when he was made prime minister. But God made him forget because now he's prime minister in Egypt. He had seven years of plenty, and now they're two years into, into the famine. So he's now 37 years old. God made him forget the first 30 years of his life. And then he had Ephraim, and Ephraim means fruitful. And he is fruitful, as we see in these chapters coming up. Verse 5, I'm going to read it to you. And, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Adoption has taken place. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. I want you to notice something here in this verse. Ephraim is put before Manasseh, and Ephraim is the second-born son. See how even the scriptures put Ephraim above Manasseh, and we're going to see Joseph or uh, Jacob as he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. He's going to switch his hands around and put his right hand on Ephraim, the youngest, and his left hand. Joseph tried to correct him, but Jacob said, I have done this on purpose. This is the way it's supposed to be. The younger or the older will serve the younger. So here we go. Jacob put them on an equal plane with the other 11 sons. He puts Ephraim and Manasseh on the other, uh, adopted as sons, uh, in the place of Joseph. And when you go through the scriptures, you're going to see in Exodus and, and onward, you're going to see that Joseph's tribe is, is never mentioned as Joseph's tribe until Revelation. They're always ref referenced as you know, his, as tribes. But you got to remember now, Joseph was one man, okay? How come all through the scriptures we see the 12 tribes, which is really 13 tribes, isn't it? Joseph's tribe is, is backed up in two men, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh, okay? Let me tell you something. When you get to the New, New Testament in the book of Revelation, um, let me see if I got it marked here. No, probably not. But in the book of Revelation, you're going to see that the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb, and they cry out, holy, 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 right? How come there's 12 thrones, but we have 13, we have 13 tribes now? You know what? How come we have 12 apostles, but really we have 13? Don't we? Because Paul was identified and called by God as an apostle. So I think, this is just my thoughts. It doesn't say this in Scripture. My thoughts are, when we get to heaven, the 24 elders are going to be the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and Joseph is going to take his proper place. So that would be the 13th. And Manasseh, or the 12th, and Manasseh and Ephraim will come under Joseph. And we get to the New Testament, we see that, you know, when Jesus passed and Judas killed himself, 
they drew lots, and the lot came to Matthias. So now we have the 12 apostles again, but really we have 13. You see that? I don't know what that all means, but there's something to that. Maybe someday God will show it to me. But I think the 24 elders are, are the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph being there himself, you know, and, and the 12 apostles. And I think Matthias was, was chosen by men, but I believe God chose Paul. After all, he did write half of the New Testament, over half if you count Hebrews. So, you know, that's really kind of important to, to, to me. I, what it means, I know there's something there, but the Lord hasn't revealed it to me. Joshua chapter 14, verse 4 says, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. There, therefore, Joseph's tribe is represented by these two groups of people, and you know that they are the tribes in Israel. Okay? Um, Ephesians 1, 5 shows us uh, adoption, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to start at the third verse. If you went to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And in verse 6, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. See, Ephesians chapter 1 is a glorious chapter. You can read that. You can find out all about it. If you have low self-esteem out there, read Galatians or Ephesians chapter 1. I'm thinking maybe that's going to be the next book that we study after we're done with either Genesis or, or Matthew. It's a beautiful picture of our adoption as sons. You have the full benefit of any son of God. We're going to be married to the Son of God. That means you are equal co-heirs with Jesus. Let me go. Let me turn to some more scriptures. Galatians. Go. Just turn to the left a little bit. Uh, Galatians chapter four and verse five. Let me go start at four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. You're a son and a daughter of God. Again, there's a lot of people out there that have low self-esteem. <laughs> you're a son or a daughter of Almighty God. You should not be have a low self-esteem. You know, when somebody tells you that tells you something that, that doesn't portray you all, makes you sad and you're brokenhearted, you know what you should do? Quote that verse to them. I'm a son and a daughter of God. I've been adopted as a son of Almighty God. Don't you tell me that I'm no good. Because you are good. 
They're good because the blood of Jesus washed your sins away because you received him as your Savior. You know, let's go through some another verse. Let's go to Romans 8, 15, and 23. Romans 8, 15, and 23. You know what? In Romans chapter 7, it's almost about, it's me, myself, I, our, in, in Romans chapter 7. But when we get over to Romans chapter 8, it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's like 16 times, I'm not sure, it's like 16 times, you know, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Paul's taken us from walking in the flesh to walking in the Spirit in these two chapters. That's another good book that we could study after this. So Manasseh and, and Ephraim are promoted to a son status as you and I are when we receive the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Romans chapter 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The spirit of bondage, you know, was in the Old Testament law. To fear, but to receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, you see the Abba, Father. You are a child in a, in, of God, a son or a daughter of God. Don't have low self-esteem. I don't care what anybody tells you. They tell you you're right too, too low. Say, well, I don't care. God loves me, and I'm a son and a daughter of Christ. In verse 23 of Romans chapter 8, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption and redemption of our body. <coughs> we, are, we are children of God. That's something to be proud of. Turn to chapter 9, verse 4. It should be right there next to you. Who, verse 4 of chapter 9 of Romans, who are Israelites to whom pertain pertain the adoption, the glory, covenants, the giving of the law in service of God and the promises. We have been adopted, and all the promises of God are yea and amen. All the promises. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Forget not all my benefits. That means in the New Testament, all the benefits of the Old Testament are, are yours to believe. He, just because Jesus came, died, was buried, and is risen, the promises of God in the Old Testament are yours. Are yours. So if he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, forget not all my benefits, who forgives all your sin, who heals all your diseases, and who delivers your life from the pit. Wow. Wow. He forgives your sin, you believe that. He heals all your diseases, do you believe that? And he saves your life from the pit, you believe that, right? So you believe that, that your, his blood cleanses you, you believe that he saves your life from the pit, but you say, I'm not sure if he wants to heal me. Well, remember two Sundays ago, I taught on Matthew chapter 8 with the leper, which is a leprosy was considered, uh, you know, it really is a picture of sin. It starts on the inside and works away out, so you're ugly. You know, sin starts on the inside through lust of the eyes, lust of the 
flesh and, and the boastful pride of life, it starts inside, works its way outward till you're ugly looking to people. Did you ever hear somebody that just takes the Lord's name in vain constantly? And, you know, to me, they're ugly. They're ugly. They make themselves ugly because they take a beautiful God whose beauty to behold, and they turn his name ugly by, by taking his name in vain. And then same thing with, with sin. It kills you, you know. I told you about the, the, the uh, wolves and the Eskimos. And I, I tell you again, I don't know for some of you out there may not have heard it, but the Eskimos had a problem with the wolves. And they, the wolves would come and raid their, their food, so they got a way to how to get rid of them. So what they would do is take a hunk of meat, stick it on a razor-sharp knife, bury it in the, in the ice, and then the ice would pack it and it had a solid foundation. The wolves would come at night, start licking on the frozen meat, and they would lick it so, so all the way down to the blade. And as, as they licked down to the blade, their tongues would become lacerated. And what would happen, they would get to go into a feeding frenzy, and they were, they were feeding on their own blood until they were dead. That's what sin does to people. That's what sin will do to you. If we keep on sin, 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 before you know it, your conscience will be seared, and you won't care if you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You won't care if you're going to church on Sunday anymore. You're going to believe that the devil's more powerful than God instead of knowing that God's more powerful than the devil. we got to wake up. we got to wake up. You are a child and a daughter of God, and you would not let anybody hurt your children. We prayed for Jason tonight. His parents are here tonight. He would, they would never want anything bad to happen to their children. We prayed for our daughter-in-law flying to Virginia. We never want anything bad to happen to them. So why would God want something bad to happen to you? Jesus even taught it in Matthew chapter 7, you know, if you ask the father for a fish, would he give you a scorpion? Come on, church, wake up. God's God. God is good. Let's see, where else can we go? Let's look at another passage. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. A lot of you know that chapter. Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it comes right after Peter's powerful verse that said, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39, For the promises for you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God could call. You know who God wants to be sons and daughters of him? The entire world. He wants them, the entire world, to be a son and a daughter of God. He says, as far off, as many as the Lord our God will call, and we, we know that Peter tells us that God wishes that none would perish, that all would come to repentance. God's good. Man likes to wallow in sin. That's his problem. He's, a, he's like a pig. He, you can give him a bath clean them all up, put them on perfume, and as soon as he sees a mud puddle, pfft, there he is, all muddied up again. You know, I heard a story when I was in Bible college, and this was a while ago, but one of the students in the class was teaching that night, and, and we had to t do our own teachings before the other people, and she, she was saying, the master had two puppies, 
and the two puppies, you know, wanted to go outside. But it was pouring down rain out there, and, and there was mud puddles all over the place. Well, somehow the puppies got outside, they went out, and they, and they got all muddied up. So the master says, oh, man, i got to go out and get them. So he goes out to get the puppy, and in the process, he comes in wallowing in the mud. That's a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve went to waddle in the mud, and then we who come after them went out and wallowed in the mud. And then, then what happened? The master, he had to come get us. Get us out of the mud and take us home and clean us all up by his blood. Beautiful pictures. People don't see that. You know, a puppy dog taught this to that girl in my college. Her and her husband were headed to Japan as missionaries. Beautiful pictures from the Word of God. Our puppy dogs teach them to us. That's why I said on Sunday in Isaiah 1.3, the ox knows its master, the donkey or the ass knows his master's manger, but man, my people, do not understand. A dog does, uh, uh, an ox does, uh, an ass does, but man can't. We better wake up, the church. If I keep preaching like this, we'll be emptying out the whole church. You know that? For those of you online, you may have already turned off. I tell you, don't turn off because by the end of this, I'm hoping that you come to know Christ as your Savior and you become a son or a daughter of the living God. Turn to first, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Therefore, this is a quote from the Old Testament scriptures out of Isaiah 52, verse 11. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I'm getting chills. I'm a son of God. My wife's a daughter of God. You guys are all daughters and sons of God. And those over the Internet, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are a son and a daughter of Almighty God. And you wanted to be President Trump's daughter. <laughs> Man, I, there's no greater person to be the daughter or the son of than Almighty God. Wow. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for, for calling us into the kingdom and making us to be sons and daughters of you, Lord God Almighty. In Jesus' name, we pray. And any of you out there need to become a son or a daughter of God, just call upon Jesus with all your heart, and then you will begin to live, you know, um, a righteous life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 I'm going the wrong way 8 through 10 for even if I made you sorry with my letter Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians I do not regret it though I did though I did regret it for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry through the only 
made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to leads to repentance. You should be so upset about your sin that it led you to repent of it. And then it goes on, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance. So if you really repented, you know, if you really repented, you would have been sorrowful to repentance that you would, and it would lead you to salvation. That means you would be walking with the Lord in the spirit and not be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You know, be sorrow for your sins because the sorrow in this world is going to lead you to death, just like those, those wolves that would be sucking on the razor-sharp knife like a, like a uh, popsicle stick. Sin will kill you, and you'll be dead in your sins, and you'll never see Jesus or God again because that is hell when, when is not seeing the living God. You'll be in hell. So you have been adopted as sons and daughters. Let's read Genesis chapter 48, verses uh, 8 through 11. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given to me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me. You can tell right here that Israel's eyes are dim. It's going to say it here shortly. Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. And the eyes of Israel were dim with age. Remember, he's 147 now, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Wow. Jacob was really blessed here. Thought Joseph was dead. Joseph all, all of a sudden been resurrected to him. He's rejuvenated. He lives another 17 years because he sees Joseph's face. And not only that, he sees these are his, his grandchildren that, that he never knew that he had. I think I, think I finished the 11th verse. Right, yes, I did. So he kissed them and he embraced them. This is Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh being the oldest, Ephraim the youngest. Israel's a changed man now. He's going to bless him. You know, I think when he found out Joseph was alive and seen him face to face, he was like blown away to the point of godly sorrow, which led him to repentance. God had blessed him. Now unto him who is able, think in the New Testament, now unto him who is able, that's God, to do exceedingly abundantly above whatever we could ask or think. Believe me, Jacob was not expecting to see Joseph's face. And God did exceedingly abundantly above whatever Jacob could think. God's exceeding Jacob's expectations, and God ought to exceed our expectations in our life. I'm preaching to myself, church, just so you know that. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man, man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's grandchildren. 
but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous, and it may not be stored up on earth in dollar bills or gold or silver. It's stored up in the kingdom of heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt it. You've got to get your eyes focused off of this world and onto the world to come. You don't know how many years you have or even days or minutes you have. Then Proverbs 17 says the children, children are the crown of old men. So if you're a, a, a grand, grandparent, you're a, those children are your crown. Verse 11, I had not thought to see your face, said Jacob, but in fact God has shown me your offspring. Wow, sounds like Romans 8:28. God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his pur purpose. His life was rough up to this point. I mentioned to you, he lost Rachel. She dies in chapter 35. That was 10 plus chapters ago. You know, Joseph is no more in chapter 33. He had a rough life. But here's what the application should be for you from and for me from Jacob's life. And that is, when life seems hopeless, don't give up. God's working. God's working on both ends. It's like a candle burning at both ends. God's working. And when, those when the time's right, those two flames are going to hit together and become one. Give God enough time, and he'll always come through. That speaks of patience. You know what I tell you? Patience is a weapon that you can use in your arsenal that will force any deception to reveal itself. Jacob had to wait, let's see, 22 years. But the deception of his sons revealed itself as deception. He had to wait 17 years, well, 22 years. But his, how his uh, 11, 10 sons uh, betrayed him, it was finally revealed, but it took time, and time is patience. You just need to be patient. So after a time, 22 years, Jacob, Israel, sees his son Joseph for the first time, and his life is rejuvenated, as I said. He lives another 17 years. He was about ready to die when he left Canaan, at 137 years of age. Verses 48, I mean, Genesis 48, 12 through 16. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand, and toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, guiding his hands, knowing for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he, Joseph, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father, look at he's spiritual now, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life along, along to this day, 
the angel who redeemed me from evil, that's the angel of the Lord, bless the lads and, and let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So, we see um, from this, this statement that Joseph places them so that Jacob's right hand would be on Manasseh, but Jacob switched it. He wanted it, he was obviously told by God to switch hands. We know that Jacob, what happened the same thing with Esau, his brother was, was born first. They were twins, but, but, you know, God blessed Jacob and not um, Esau, okay? He puts his right hand on him, and that means that gives place for strength, according to Exodus 15. It gives place to uh, help in Psalm 20, verse 6, and it puts the favor upon him in Psalm 16, 11. At your right hand are pleasure forever. That's what the scripture says. Jacob switches the hands here. Joseph's a little upset. He should have, you know, Jacob knew because he was the one who was blessed when Esau was the older. He was favoring Ephraim. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll see that when, when, when it talks about Ephraim, the tribe, it's talking about Manasseh and Ephraim and all the ten tribes of Israel for the most part. The Trinity is actually seen here because we see God as a guide, God before whom my fathers walked, in verse uh, 15. Okay, we see God as a provider, the God who has fed me all my life. Jacob's beginning to realize God fed him in the land of Canaan. So now God's his provider, which we know is Jehovah Jireh, our father. In Genesis 22, and Abraham called to, to Jake the name of that place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And it's talking about God has provided not Isaac for the sacrifice, but the ram that was caught in the thicket. Another picture, as I mentioned many times, we don't have time to go into that. Okay, and then we see uh, the third mention here, we see... God as the Redeemer, because Jacob says in verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from evil, that angel that was wrestling him, you know, redeemed him from evil. He knows it. That's where he made his transition. I showed you from Scripture, if you can say, you know, we talk about being born again in the New Testament. This is an Old Testament born again. He finally realized the God of Abraham, his grandfather, the God of his father, uh, Isaac, you know, was God. He wrestled with him. And he knows now that he's been redeemed by him. And likewise, that's a picture of us. You know, he has guided us, he has fed us, and he has redeemed us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law, having become a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ. And that's me and you, unless you have Jewish blood in you. Listen, 
We have been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is death. The curse of the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law is death. You're going to die because you can't keep those Ten Commandments. And by the way, if you could keep those Ten Commandments, you have another 603 to obey. So there's really 613 laws that you need to obey. And if you fail in any one point, you're guilty of all. A, the old covenant was, was terrible. Aren't you glad you live in the new covenant days? Wow. Wow. First, even Peter says, you know, Christ has redeemed us not with silver and gold, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We sang about that tonight. It was a beautiful song, Lewis. I praise you. Praise the Lord. The switch is happening in verse 17 through 20. Um, okay. Now when Jacob saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, he, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is firstborn. But your right hand, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall be a people, and he shall also be great. But truly, the younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, I bless, saying, My, May God make you a, a, as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying. God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you one portion above your brother, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Joseph thinks that dad's making a mistake here, and he attempts to reverse it. But Jacob gives the prophecy that that Ephraim's going to be superior to the man Manasseh. They're both going to be great, but but the younger's the older's going to serve the younger. Both are blessed. Every time I mentioned, every time you see Ephraim in the Bible, it's talking about the ten tribes, including Manasseh. By the time of Judges, Ephraim led the ten tribes uh, to the north. And Let's see. Isaiah 7, 2 says that they allied with Syria. Okay. Um, Hosea 4, 17 and 13, 1 says Ephraim sacrificed to Baal. It also says that they, they, they did child sacrifices. They were not a good tribe by the time this all was over. Ephraim you know, was the leader of Manasseh. He led the ten tribes in the wrong direction. And that's why you see every evil king in the twelve, ten tribes of Israel, not the two tribes of Judah, but the ten tribes of Israel, every king in that line, there was like 18 or 19 of them, they were evil kings. Every one of them. See, the last verses, the last verse, he's talking about 
given one portion. Oh, it's a threefold prophecy that I, Israel gives here. Number one, I am dying. The spiritual leader of the family is now dying. It needs to be reassigned. A leadership of the tribe needs to be reassigned. Here's the third, third fold, the second fold of the prophecy. God will be with you. As God was with Jacob, he's saying God will be with you. The same God that met Israel at Bethel. God, also number three of the prophecy, God will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Abraham knew that, that the direction of God was going to lead them to Egypt and they were going to be stuck there for 400 plus years. That means that Jacob, if you do all the calculations, that means that Jacob is about 15 years old when Abraham died. He's old enough to understand what's going on. Abraham knew the duration. God reaffirmed his promise to Jacob because Jacob knew it. In Genesis 46, when we were in that chapter, says, I will go down with you to Egypt. That means Jacob says, God says to Jacob, go down to Egypt, I will be with you. In verse chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, we find out that that time in Egypt is going to be 400 years. And I will also surely bring you back up again. And he says, Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. In other words, Joseph, when when. When Israel died or Jacob died, that meant that Joseph was going to be by his side, and Joseph closed his eyes for him as he died. Uh, probably Israel in, in the land of Goshen was probably safe for about the next two generations, and after that, Egypt found out they were growing greater and stronger and more powerful than them, and they made them slaves until Moses came along, and God delivered them through Moses. So God has completed a wonderful work in Jacob that we see here so far. And uh, in Philippians 1.5 says this, Be confident, church, son and daughter of God, that in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God gives Jacob assurance of his preservation. In Genesis 28, this is what he said to Jacob, just to refresh the prophecy. Genesis 28:15. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until... I have done what I have spoken to you. God's saying, I'm going to plead it. Numbers 23, 19, I believe it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. He has spoken and he will do it. That's all there is to it. So if God told you something and you know that you know that you know it was God, he will do it. You don't know how long it's going to take. Patience will reveal any any. Re, um, any deception that might come into your life. So God will complete his work in you. So Jacob's pilgrimage, he gave Jacob the assurance. And number two, God gave him and, get, and told him he will grow by trusting him. You know, and Jacob also was given a testimony of how God will be with him through through the years. Fleeing from Laban, God was was with him. Fleeing from Esau, God was with him. 
fleeing to Egypt, God was with him. And here's a, here's a note for a mature believer. Mature believers give testimony to God's faithfulness. I know practically all of you here, and I know that you do that. You're going to give testimony to God's faithfulness, not your faithfulness. So Jacob is encouraging us even today to trust God because God will be with us. You know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will direct your path. You put him first, acknowledging him. Jacob says he reclaimed a possession of the land by force. That was from the Amorites. We don't know what that was. Um, might have been taken temporarily. But obviously, Jacob was somewhat of a warrior also, like his father, Abraham. Okay? Scholars believe that he was making a reference to the, the Shechem, Shechem, the guy who raped Dana, Dana, Dana their daughter, his daughter. Okay? So it ends with Joseph is given one portion more than his other brothers, you know, because, you know, um, he's just given a portion more. We don't know what that is, at least at this point. But anyway, to just sum it all up, I think the really the meat of this was you are a son and a daughter of God. Don't let anybody tell you any different. You, you, you need self-esteem. You are a son and a daughter of Almighty God. And believe me, God has esteemed you chosen by him. And that's a good thing. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is so beautiful. Lord, the things we see in the scriptures, all pointing to our Savior Jesus and the precious blood he shed. And we know we were redeemed by the blood, not with silver or gold, but with precious blood as the lamb unblemished and was spotless, the blood of Christ Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for sending Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing Christ to us and giving us the courage to say, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, I hope everybody out there says yes, Lord, to Jesus too. And let your sorrow be unto repentance, which means your life is going to change. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Everybody, hope to see you Sunday, 10 a.m. Love you all.